Hello, hello. Welcome back to the Off of the Couch podcast. Maggie here. My interview today is with Joseph Onesta. He's a clinical hypnotist and an author who lives in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. He reversed his own diabetes, lost 100 pounds, and with his hypnosis practice, helps clients do the same. Here's Joseph. So do you want to just start with your your story? You're a hypnotist, an author, and uh, a variety of things, it sounds like. Do you want to just tell your story? Just okay. I, I'm going to suggest that my story actually starts in 1992. Okay. When I moved to Los Angeles and a doctor told me I needed to lose weight in order for him to sign the clearance for me to get a new job. And uh, I accepted that. I He said he would sign it on the contingency that I saw this nutritionist. She was great. She looked just like Meg Ryan, believe it or not, back oh, in wow. those days. So I, was, I had a lot of fun with her. And um, she <clears throat> put me on a low-fat diet, calorie counting, 1,500 calories a day. Now, uh, within a month or two of that, I actually became a vegetarian. Because meat comes with fat, and I wanted to control the calories at the time, and fat was, uh, you know, really bad for, uh, according to the locale people. So um, I literally became a vegetarian, and what that really meant was a carbohydrateitarian. I ate a lot of pasta and rice. And the vegetables, I mean, it wasn't like I sat around eating broccoli all day. It was literally pasta and rice with vegetables. And um, I, while I can't document it, I think that that actually put me into hyperinsulinemia and uh, caused my blood sugars to rise. And I, of course, never knew that. Eventually, though, in 2004, I was diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. And that came as a complete surprise to me. No one had ever said anything like that to me before. And uh, my response was, well, what do I do? You know, how do I respond to this? And Yeah, um, because here you think you're eating so healthy. Right. Oh, I was following the food pyramid, you know, Perfectly. That's a low fat, which put meat very high up there. Well, I wasn't eating any meat. I was in the best two two tiers <laughs> of that food pyramid. Yeah. So in 2004, um, my doctor sent me to a nutritionist, and she again showed me the food pyramid, told me to get 60% of my calories from carbohydrates, complex carbohydrates. And um, of course, we now know that there's not much of a big difference between complex carbohydrates and simple ones in terms of blood sugar, uh, especially if they're processed. I mean, who do you know that walks around eating stalks of wheat? I I, I don't know anybody. (laughs) So, um, you know, 
I thought this is easy, especially if she tells me to eat every two hours to keep my blood sugar levels. I, I, you're telling me to snack all day. Thank you. That's easy. Right. And I did exactly what they told me to do. Now, I had a prescription for metformin when I started. Within a, a, a short time, I, I don't know when it happened, but my doctor gave me a second medication. And in 2018, I think it was, um, I, I, I have to go look it up, but I never do. Um, it was about five years ago that um, I went in to see my doctor. I saw my doctor every four months. I took my medications. I did exactly what they said to do. All right, once in a while, I'd have a cookie, you know, <laughs> but this was not, uh, uh, all right. And by the way, cookies are vegetarian, <laughs> right? So um, I, I, I go to my doctor and he says, you know, your A1C is, and it was either 9.9 .9 or 9.8. I don't know if you know about the A1C. Yeah, that's very high. Yeah, it's very it's, you high. Want, you want to be what 5.5 5 is right. normal. And then, you know, like above that up to six is pre-diabetes. So 10 is is kind of dangerously high. Right. Yeah. I've, I've had clients since then who are much higher, but that's neither here nor there. Yeah. The point is, is that you think you're doing everything right. I mean, I was a good diabetic. And I did, I did what I, I, I thought was the right thing to do. And I right. thought I was taking care of myself. Well, he wanted to put me on a third medication in right. anticipation of injecting insulin. Yeah. And I thought, you know, I told him, I said, give me a list of those medications and I'll read about them. And he said, if you read about them, you won't want to take any of them. Yeah. And he was right. So... I never called him back. I just decided, look, I don't know what's going on in my body. I don't understand diabetes. I don't know why this is here. And I started investigating. So at the same time, I found a couple of things. First of all, I found Jason Fung, yeah. who was amazing. I saw, and he was presenting to medical conferences so there I am writing down all of the studies that he's talking about. I also watched Tim Noakes in South Africa. There was this sort of documentary about him going on trial for having um, ostensibly given advice over Twitter, uh, you know. And I'm watching this man and he's citing all of these studies. And I have to be honest with you, I was thinking, why doesn't my doctor know this? Sure. And so, you know, I, I'm an educated person. I started looking up those studies and I became convinced that the advice that I had been given was wrong, but I didn't know how wrong. And I didn't buy into the high fat right away, by the way. I mean, I, that was a problem for me. But um, I did I did decide that I understood that it was carbohydrates and I would have to make some changes. Now, I grew up, Maggie, I, I'm an Italian-American. 
I grew up eating pasta a lot. I bet. And so the, the notion of cutting this out of my life was not something that I was ready or willing to think of even at that moment. Mm -hmm. But I was ready and willing to cut down and see what would happen and take responsibility, take ownership for my own wellness. Nice. Well, I'm going to tell you the truth. In a couple of weeks, I was experiencing low blood sugar um, because of the, the sulfonuria that I was taking, not the metformin. So I cut the sulfonuria in half thinking, well, maybe I don't need as much. I didn't tell my doctor. Shh, don't tell anybody. <laughs> We don't because, recommend this. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, don't don't rat me out to the doctor. Okay. And then um, it happened again. Like the first time it happened, it was the middle of the night. I had woken up. I, I kind of had to pee. I was completely disoriented. And I thought, oh, I better test my blood sugar. And it was low. And yeah. I thought, oh. So I, you know, I, at least I knew what to do. And then... <clears throat> couple of weeks later, it happened again, not quite as severely. So I just eliminated the sulfonuria completely. And a couple of weeks after that, I just let go of the metformin. I thought, you know, we'll see what happens when I stop these. Let's just see. Well, in four months, that was my next A1C, because I didn't call my doctor. Shh. I could tell he was mad at me when I walked in. My next A1C was 5.4. Which is perfect. Which is perfect. It's well, it's it could be lower. <laughs> yeah. I mean, but I that's, it's, it's not diabetic. It's not even pre-diabetic. Right. So um no matter and my doctor, I'll be honest with you, Maggie, he wasn't really interested in what I did. He just basically said, Well, the numbers don't lie. And I thought, you're a doctor. And I look, I don't hate him. I, I I think he's been trained to think a certain way and he kind of has to do that. It's almost like, I don't know what they call it. You know, uh, it, it's like mindful ignorance or willful, willful ignorance or willful blindness. Yes. It's, you know, considered standard of care. And I think they're expected to followed by the insurance companies or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of unfortunate because it would have been nice if you could have worked with your doctor, but if he wouldn't have reduced the medications, you would have been really putting yourself at risk. Because I could have been dead. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's the that's the thing. And yeah. you know, maybe you know, giving him the benefit of the doubt, I maybe could have talked to him and say, look, this is what I'm experiencing. And he might have given me rational advice. But he probably also would have wanted me to go in immediately and start testing. Mm -hmm. And um, I was testing myself at least 10 times a day, every finger, every day. Okay. And, uh, you know, I figured I was, I was doing something that, yes, I was taking my life into my own hands, but I was doing it consciously and I'm a grown-up. Sure. And... Uh, you know, it's never been, my A1C has never been higher than 5.4. I've been off all of my medications for five years. Okay. And uh, one day in the middle of this process, 
I would say in the middle of the first year, it was about six or eight months later, I, I had my hypnosis office in a massage center. Like they were all massage therapists. I had my little private office for people to come in for hypnosis. Nice. And uh, they, the one day this guy across the hall, a little flamboyantly, bless his heart, he comes up to me and he says, Joseph, and he's shaking his hand at me. He said, Joseph, congratulations on losing all of this weight, but this, and he, he gestures toward my body, is unprofessional. And I said, what are you talking about? He said, you are a professional. You need to dress professionally. These clothes are hanging off of you. You need to go shopping. There's a Ross dress for less just down the street. Do you want me to go with you? And I, I don't know how much of that was what? And how much of that was just embarrassment? I don't know. But I said no. I would go myself. And I, I had a kind of body dysmorphia. Okay. Uh, when I started, I was a tight 48 with the muffin top and the muffin bottom. When I went to Ross Dress for Less, and I'm not plugging Ross, by the way. That's not the point here, although I do love to go there. Um, <laughs> love getting anything cheap. But uh, I was a loose 38. So I had lost 10 to 12 inches off my waist without really realizing it. Wow. And all so together, stuff was just hanging on you at that point. And it probably... was baggy. It was really awful. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, I still have a couple of the shirts. I threw all the pants away. <laughs> I'm good. My partner said, why don't you keep one of those pants and you could like make that commercial where you. Yeah, the Jared like, commercial. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I said, I'm not really interested in that. Yeah. And then, uh, and then clients started calling me to lose weight, not because I had lost weight, but because I'm a hypnotist and we do that. Yeah. And uh, I realized I could no longer, with any integrity whatsoever, follow or encourage them to follow, eat less, exercise more. Oh. I just couldn't do it. So um, I wasn't a vegetarian when I started. I, be, I had stopped becoming a vegetarian, I don't know, 2015 or 2016. Okay. I was a vegetarian all of those years. And uh, so by the time 2018 rolled around, at least I was eating animal products and the transition was easier for me. Oh, to I, get the protein? Right. And I, I've had clients call me up and say, I'm a vegetarian, can you help me? Mm -hmm. And um, my answer is yes, but not without compromise. And okay. I'll ask them, why are you a vegetarian? Because a vegetarian could eat eggs and fish if they want, right? They, 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 some people think like that. Or eggs yeah. and cheese, they call it lacto-ovo. Yeah, yeah, yogurts and- If they're eating eggs, I'm okay. But if they're a vegan, I want to know why they're a vegan. And um, I hope I'm not offending any of your listeners, but it is very hard for a vegan to 
get the protein without wrapping it up in a lot of carbohydrates. And also, um, they, they, how do I say it without, and being, being delicate, they have to compromise on ultra processed sources of protein. So, okay. you know, I don't, I'm okay with tofu because it's fermented, mm -hmm. but when when we're talking about you know these processed pseudo meat products which are full right. ultra processed foods like uh even just chicken nuggets that still use some chicken are filled with those products those things are hurting your your um, your microbiome and those things are hurting your body so we have to compromise if they want to stay a vegan but if they tell me they're a vegan because they think it's healthy, we're going to have that talk more than once. Right. So that makes sense. Yeah. It depends yeah. what their, what their purpose is. And uh, yeah. And, and I see what you mean, like the, uh, the vegetarian nuggets and, you know, substitute products. They're okay. all highly processed and full, full of emulsifiers and um, fake ingredients. So I'm being, I, I'm very picky about that, but um, the relationship that I have with my client, my, by the way, my practice now emphasizes metabolic disease. Okay. Um, I, I am very open to clients, of course, with type two diabetes, obesity, PCOS, uh, that's polycystic ovarian syndrome, high blood pressure, any of the things that we would consider, even migraines, by the way, I just had a consultation this morning with a woman who has migraines and she was surprised that I, that I would suggest a dietary change, but um, it's really this excess of carbohydrates, which grew out of the 1980 food pyramid is really unhealthy. Yeah. So that's my story. <laughs> It's a great story. So you were practicing as a hypnotist, and, and so I imagine a lot of your clients come to you for weight loss even before you started mm -hmm. working on the metabolic health. They did, but I'll be honest with you, at 300 pounds, I had very little confidence. Sure. And, uh, I, you know, it's like if a doctor, a fat doctor tells you to lose weight, it's like, right. you know? Right. So um, I, I didn't have all of that much. In fact, I much felt better. I, I would ask them, are you willing to work online? And if they said yes, I would refer them out. I would say, okay, I want you to call oh. this person or I want you to call that person. Because at 300 pounds, I had no confidence. Yeah. And uh, now when they come in, you know, for weight loss, you know, if they just want to lose 10 pounds for their bathing suit in Cancun, I don't do uh -huh. that. Okay. I said, look, any hypnotist can starve you. I'm not doing that. When you want to lose that 10 pounds forever and you want to live a healthy life, give me a call. Oh, that sounds so harsh, but the truth is, is at my stage in life, Maggie, I don't want the money as much as I want the results. Well, I was curious, how did you become a hypnotist? When did that come about? Um, I 
I became a hypnotist in 2015 when um, a guy called me up, a, a guy I knew in high school called me up and was, he was an alcoholic and trying to make amends for all of the bullying he did in high school. And I, I, I remembered him. And I said, you know, dude, I remember you, but I don't remember we, I mean, I remember we weren't pals, like we didn't hang out, but I don't remember you doing any of this to me. So congratulations on getting sober. That's great. When I hung up, I tried to figure out, like I was bullied literally from the second grade until graduation day. Oh, I was that there were times when I would stand and look at my high school and I went to a fairly tough high school. I mean, even teachers bullied me. Um, I, I remember standing there looking at the high school and just thinking, you know what, I just can't do this today. And I would take my lunch money and get on the bus. And I would spend the whole day in the public library in the open stacks just reading and hanging out until it was time to go home because my mother was a stay-at-home mom. And uh, I, my mother was hurt by that because she thought that I, I couldn't confide. But the truth is, I really did believe there was something wrong with me. And um, when they picked on me, I agreed with them. Uh. You know, I, I was... In this is in the seventies, yeah. And I was gay, and I thought, you know what? I deserve what they're doing to me. Well, and so I didn't. It, by the time I was in my thirties and working at a place called AIDS Project Los Angeles, and yeah. I had a volunteer who was a hypnotist, and she said, "You ought to let me you know hypnotize you." She did. I remember standing in a semicircle of junior high kids. I could name every one of them. And um, I, she asked me, what do you want to do? She thought I'd want to beat them up or something. And I said, I just want to forgive them because they're dumb kids raised, you know, at a lower, I guess, lower middle class or higher low class, I don't know, neighborhood. And uh, I said, it's, it's not their fault. So we went and forgave each one. And wow. I had forgotten all about it. And so- Okay, so when he apologized, you had already forgiven him through the hypnosis process. That's a, right. that's, that's a emotional story because yeah, I, you know, I think I'm just a little bit older than you and certainly nobody I knew in high school was out of the closet. It just- right. Well, I wasn't um, out of the closet at all, but um, in fact, I denied it vehemently, but that yeah. was mostly because I hated being bullied. Yeah. So, you know, when, when I realized that I couldn't really remember any, I remember the bullying as a process, yeah. but I don't remember any distinct events, really. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, I thought, holy cow, it worked. And that's when I decided, I said to my partner, I said, what do you think if I became a hypnotist? And he said, I'll support you whatever you want. 
Nice. I was a professor at the time. I had a career. It wasn't that uh, I wasn't full time, at least not here in Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. But uh, I thought this is something that's really useful and really powerful. And so the hypnosis, like my doctor eventually, after about three years, said to me, what does hypnosis have to do with this? Uh huh. And I said, listen, doc, nobody wants to cut carbs. Nobody wants to do intermittent fasting. That this is these things in most people's minds are unpleasant. So hypnosis is that lifestyle change from the inside out that helps people actually make these changes. You know, I am amazed at the low carb conferences and the people who are working, although the, the this most recent one was a lot about type one. I enjoyed it. I learned a lot. Yeah. But um, these people who stand up and say that they're doing low carb, they're doing keto, they're doing carnivore, whatever degree of low carb they're doing, I find that amazing because they're doing it on willpower alone. And willpower, in my book, is the weakest of motivations. It's not strong enough, and at least for most people. So all those people who could do it without me, they can do it without me. They can read my books if that helps them. They can read somebody else's books if that helps them. They can watch those videos, those low-carb videos on YouTube um, and, and make decisions and take ownership of their own health. That's fine. But for the people who just need that help and that accountability, I'm there. I'm educated in it. I know what I'm talking about. And I know how to coach them through those awkward situations where, you know, somebody's shoving a plate of cookies at them and saying, here, Merry yeah. Christmas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's really interesting because I, what I'm finding is for some people switching to low carb because it is more nutrient dense and you're not eating quite as many addictive foods. In fact, Hopefully you're cutting out, you know, the breads and pastas and cookies or maybe substituting them for a, a special kind of, you know, um, almond flour or whatever might work for you. And um, they feel more nourished. And so they have a much easier time with hunger and avoiding cravings. But other people are, you know, people, it's a spectrum, you know, and some of the people then switch all the way to carnivore because they find that very nutrient dense and they're not hungry, but there's other people that just really can't walk by that uh, candy counter or those fresh cookies without having them. And then it sets them into a kind of a spiral down, you know? And, um, so people are all seem to be on kind of a spectrum and sometimes eating nutritiously is enough. And sometimes, um, they need support, you know? Well, I, I find in my process, which is about 10 sessions long, um, it's a minimum of 10 sessions. Some people go over, um, but usually by session eight, they're pretty much on their own and they know what they're doing. But um, I, I find that there's a whole bunch of emotional eating issues that come yeah. around in uh, in the middle of this process 
that has to be processed. Like if I'm craving cake, like I want to make a t-shirt that says nobody needs a donut. <laughs> and and the truth is, why am I craving? One of the things I like, I do speak at uh, different organizations and conferences. And one of the things that I talk about is understanding hunger and cravings. Mm -hmm. Understanding that hunger is mostly hormonal is not a problem. But understanding what triggers the hormones is. So when people realize, oh, maybe I'm feeling hungry just because it's 730. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe I'm feeling hungry because I, I've grazed. Or maybe I'm feeling hungry because I ate something. I, I ate two pieces of toast for breakfast and now my blood sugar is falling and that's causing the hunger. There are lots of reasons why we yeah. feel hungry. There are also lots of reasons why we crave, but none of them have are ever satisfied by the food. And you know what? I'm going to challenge your listeners to think about this and think about the last time that the comfort of eating a comfort food lasted longer than eating the comfort food. Did that, oh. did that make sense? It's like so if it's I'm comfort eating, while you're eating it. And then once you're finished. Well, you just beat yourself up because you overate. Oh. You see, I mean, it's like, oh, I didn't really need that donut. Right. I right. thought I <laughs> I thought I did. But um, listen, anybody, any overweight person who has a sugar addiction, and we all do because it's a very addictive and it's in everything. Any yeah. overweight person who has a sugar addiction knows what it's like to, to go to a donut store and leave with a half a dozen. And two of them are gone before the parking lot. You get out of the parking lot. And by four, you're already beating yourself up at what the heck I'm going to eat the other two. Anybody knows this. And so what is it that caused you? And this is a, a whole self-awareness, right? My clients... They get a new relationship with food. They get a new relationship with their body. A craving is not a body thing. It's a mental thing. Hunger is mental and body, but craving is purely mental. So why do I want these donuts? Is it because I'm feeling down? Is it because I'm feeling anxious? Is it because I'm feeling lonely and unloved? Well, those are the three main, the three main uh, pleasure neurotransmitters in the brain. So if I'm down, I'm low on dopamine. What Ooh. do I need to do? I need to have fun. I need to play. I need to laugh. Um, what about, what about I'm anxious? Well, I need serotonin. If I need serotonin, then I need to relax. I need to meditate. I need to chill out. I need to stop my mind from racing and being, you know, the doomsday calendar in my mind. 
And if I'm feeling alone and isolated, I need to spend some time with people I know or love or even just get out in public. You know, there's a whole bunch of people who go to these coffee shops and I don't know how the coffee shops make money off of them because they're certainly not drinking coffee all day, but they will right. sit there and use the Wi-Fi. Now you can yeah. get free Wi-Fi at the library, but right. they'll go to the coffee shop and just sometimes being out in public and hearing other people gives us a feeling of connection. A few words with someone gives us a feeling of connection. And that's what we need. So if I'm like, if I, if, if I have a dream about eating spaghetti, I don't need spaghetti. I miss my mother. Oh. To my mother, my mother passed away three years ago. And, uh, you know, she always, always expressed love with food, always. Mm -hmm. And so, you know what, when I'm feeling that, and I, I, it's like, Spaghetti, I'm not attracted to spaghetti. I'm not even attracted to cake. Um, I can appreciate the beauty of the cake and the excitement of seeing the treat, but they're all too sweet for me. Uh, I, uh -huh. My tastes have changed and uh, that wasn't intentional, but <clears throat> it does happen to just about everybody. Yeah. And, you know, when I, I'm missing my mom, so I might... You know, some people might go to the cemetery. I'm not a cemetery kind of guy. So I might think about her. I might make a dish that she taught me how to make that isn't loaded with carbohydrates. <laughs> or I might just look at pictures and say, weren't these good years? You know, the last couple of years of my mom's life, I, I, I wouldn't want to bring her back for those. They were really hard on her. She was 100, uh, by the way. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, you know, it would be very selfish of me to want my mom back. Yeah. But at the same time, you know, I just need. So I'll call my best friend who remembers uh -huh. my mother. But oh, nice. I'll call him up and we'll talk. It doesn't matter that we don't talk about my mother. I just need to connect. He's in Florida. I'm in Pittsburgh. But uh, actually, I stayed with him at that conference. Oh. Yeah, that was perfect. nice. Perfect. That and was... boy, that food, speaking of uh, comfort food at the conference, was so delicious. Like some of those uh, like zucchini casseroles with the cheese, you know. You know, <laughs> I didn't stay for the dinners. Oh, uh, you know, the thing is, I was staying with my best friend yeah. and it's like, we're going to have dinner together. Oh, right, right. Uh, you know, I just I just wanted to be with, you know, spend time with him as well. Not just stay at his, you know, his, yeah, uh, his house. That makes sense. Sure. <laughs> so I didn't stay for any of those dinners. And that's OK. That's really OK. I I, I would have loved that just to see what was on the menu. But, they did an amazing uh, job. Zucchini yeah. casserole with cheese. Yeah, you could make some food. very good Italian food and just put in, you know, eggplant or zucchini. For the, well, you probably know that. I do. <laughs> Instead of the pasta. I, uh, yeah, I I love I love making a casserole of pizza toppings. 
And of course, you have to put it in parchment or it'll stick to your dish and you'll forget uh -huh. it because there's teeth. But uh, I love doing that. And I, I never crave pizza anymore. People could be eating it in front of me and it's like, yeah, no, I don't want that. <laughs> Especially the bought pizza. You know, I imagine that if I went to some, if I could roll back time and go to some aunt's house and she made pizza, yeah. I'd be tempted. But I don't know how far it would get. <laughs> At the end of COVID, we went to visit my godmother. And she's 20 years my senior. So she's in her 80s now. And uh, of course, when we went to visit her, she made, it was Sunday, so she made an Italian dinner. We had a big bowl of pasta, a big pile of meatballs, which... For Italians, they're half bread. I don't know if you knew that. Oh, they put the bread. They are half bread, oh. and <clears throat> a big chocolate cake. Oh gosh! And my partner looked when he saw on the table. He looked at me and whispered, "You're going to eat this." <laughs> <laughs> and he's right. I said, "Of course I am." I did worry that it would stir up cravings uh -huh. for pasta because I hadn't had pasta in a long time. But uh, it didn't. It didn't. Those cravings are just gone. And yeah, uh, you're not going to insult an Italian woman if you can help it, and <laughs> tell her you're not going to eat the meal that she just prepared for you. That would be no. At at 80 years old. Yeah. No, she worked hard on that. Right. And, and of yeah. course, she did it for me. Right. So. She was showing me love the way my mother would show me love. Yeah. And I could receive that. And I could test my blood sugar. I do once in a while, usually biohacking to see. I'm going to eat this and see. I did some biohacking on keto tortillas and keto. Uh, these are commercial. Keto tortillas and keto bread from Aldi. Uh -huh. I can't. Yeah, I, I just because I was curious. Zero yeah. net carbs. I'm not sure I I buy net carbs completely. Right. I'm not sure I do either. Yeah. So um the 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 bread, two slices of bread, my blood sugar went up 10 points. Now 10 points is not a lot. It's not like it would have been with two regular slices of bread, but okay. there's it's ultra processed food. Yeah. Same thing with the um, with the tortillas it was about ten okay. points. Yeah, they just add extra fiber, and then they can call it low carb. Yeah, you, you don't want to get carried away with that. No, no, and I I have had colleagues, like the ones who read my first book, um, and they they came up to me the, in the conference and they wrapped their arms around my shoulder like this is a big secret. And they, I got your book and I lost 40 pounds. Oh. And it's like, and why are we whispering? <laughs> why aren't you telling everybody? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You know, and they'll call me up and they'll say, well, what do you think about this? Or what do you think about that? I Are you a carnivore by by, the, by any chance? I am not. Okay. I am not. I, I have lunch with 
I don't know if you know him. He's called the uh, the Carnivore Teacher on YouTube. Um, yes, I I think he, I met the two of you together. He was okay. he came up and talked with you, and I actually uh, will be putting his podcast out tomorrow. Oh wow! Tell me about <laughs> that. So I can listen. I would love to hear that. Okay. And, um, he knows that I'm not a carnivore, but um, I I I. I asked him point blank because the science of the microbiome sort of blew up over the last three years. Mm -hmm. I said, well, what does being a carnivore do to your microbiome? And he, I, I, I don't, I can't say that he couldn't answer me. He did answer me, uh -huh. but it was, it doesn't seem to matter because I'm fine. Yeah. And you know what? I'm okay with that too. I've had clients become carnivores. I had clients go strict keto. Like they want to remain in ketosis. My clients are in and out of ketosis. Uh, uh -huh. It's just not a permanent thing. And, um, and we do, we combine intermittent fasting, um, therapeutic intermittent fasting, which is 24 hours or more, but we also do the time restricted eating so that their bodies have a chance to heal. But, you know, they, my clients, some of them have trouble. Some of them struggle with certain things. I've only ever had one come back like six months later to say that she fell off the wagon. <laughs> uh -huh. And I said, well, you know, I don't believe in wagons, but let's talk about that. And in one session, we talked about it. And uh, within a few days, it was just a few days later, she sent me a photo from her phone of a brown uh, ketone test strip. She said, see, I'm doing okay. And it's like, thank you for sharing your pee with me. <laughs> okay. Yeah. That's funny. So she was back on the wagon. She was back on the wagon. I'm not so sure. You know, one of the, I want my clients to have a new relationship with themselves. So it's it's like this. I had one client say to me, I used to weigh myself every morning and beat myself up for the rest of the day. In terms of hypnosis and psychological well-being, the beating up was worse than than what she did to beat herself up. Like, yeah, I, I'm not gonna beat myself up. If I eat something and this is how I train my clients, I'm going to eat it intentionally and I'm going to know that I'm doing it and know what the consequences are. So, for example, here in Pittsburgh, we have the tradition of a cookie table. And usually this is everybody who knows this graduate or this married couple makes cookies and puts them on this big table for everybody to sort of chow down. And there was a time when I would have gotten a big plate of cookies telling myself, oh, I'll share this with the table. But that's what everybody else does, too. So really, it's a plate of cookies for me. Yeah. <laughs> and But now when I see those cookie tables, I get excited because I'm a Pittsburgher and I grew up thinking, oh, look, there's a cookie table. But now I just think, well, if I were going to have one, which one would it be? 
And I might walk away with that one cookie. And if someone at our table says, you only brought one cookie, I'd say, it's right there. Go get your own. You know, I, I don't I yeah. don't need to, you know, you didn't bring any for us. It's like, no. They're right there. Go help They're yourself. Right there. Go get your own. You, you, you know, no. your legs aren't broke, as we would say here. Your legs ain't broke. Go get them. And, you know, if they ask why I'm only having one, I can tell them. But I will tell you that not everyone wants to know. Yeah. And uh, that's just too bad. I know, I know some diabetics who, despite my success, are just not interested. Okay. Yeah. I don't judge. Yeah, and it makes it harder when they're being told that it is a disease that they got because of their genetics and there's nothing they can do but take the medicine and go downhill, you know. Um, it's hard when the medical profession is still towing that line, you know, even though there are more and more examples of people putting it in remission and uh, getting off the medications and becoming healthy and, um, we switched our doctors. Um, I won't say primarily because of that, but I was ready primarily because of that. My doctor wasn't cooperative and not interested. And when I would bring up one of these studies, like Ken Berry tells us to do, and uh, uh -huh. say, well, look, what about this? And what about that? It just wasn't really interested. Yeah. And, uh, but... I will tell you from my experience working with clients, I do coach them on how to work with their doctors. And I do, I do coach them on being insistent. I'm working on a, on a diet and exercise program. They're allowed to use those words with the doctor. Yeah, because that's good. I'm doing a diet and exercise program. And I want to know if my blood sugar starts coming down what steps should I take in reducing my medications if I don't really need them? The doctor that's, gets freaked out, but it's that's like, no, no, that's perfect because you know the reason they do the increased medications is because they feel that most people aren't going to do that lifestyle piece. And right. so if you're actually willing to do the lifestyle piece, you don't have to say that you're eating low carb. You can say healthy. Mediterranean style or whatever. Yeah. And getting more exercise. That's exactly what you're supposed to do. So. Right. And, 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 and when, when the doctor says, don't do that, I, I they, they come and say, my doctor told me not to say, well, I think a second opinion is in order. Don't you, you know, it's like, just because your doctor wants you to take Sophonyurias and insulin. There's no greater joy, Maggie, no greater joy than having a client come into sit in my office and there you can almost see they're holding something back in their face. Uh -huh. And I'll say, you know, what's going on? Tell me. He says, I haven't had insulin in a week. Oh, nice. Yeah. And I said, well, what was your blood sugar this morning? And they tell me. And it's like, 
Okay. Just be careful. Yeah. You know, but um, you know, I think you're doing great. Just keep your eye on that. Those I insist my diabetic clients to test their blood. Whether they get a CGM, um, if they can afford it, because most insurance won't pay for it. Okay. I tell them because unless you are in danger of low blood sugar, insurance won't pay for it. Oh, interesting. So it's like, well, make your doctor write the prescription and go get it at Costco. Just go get it. Because I want them to know. Is it, how much does it cost at Costco? Do you know? Or I really don't. Um, it's several hundred dollars to start. And then I, I did investigate once um, quite a while ago. And it was about a hundred dollars a month. So okay. um, the the machine itself, like the the reader, uh -huh. costs several hundred dollars. I don't remember how many. And then um, the the pads only last two weeks. Yeah, and I actually did a uh, I did a CGM for just for two weeks, and I didn't have to buy a reader. I bought uh, I bought it through a website. It was called Ageless RX, and uh, I didn't need a prescription from my doctor. They did a little online uh, prescription <laughs> and mailed okay. it to me. So it was, I think it was about one hundred twenty dollars, and just for two weeks. But I did not have to buy a reader because you just put the phone app on your phone. So um, I, was, I just got one. one. Um, and I use it for two weeks and just, um, it, it's very interesting, isn't it? To watch yeah. the, your responses to different foods and, and, uh, luckily I'm not type two diabetic, but I could, the thing that raised my blood sugar the most, I was surprised was we, one day we had a, uh, store-bought flatbread pizza for dinner, just, uh, I don't know why there was a game on or something yeah. where, <laughs> threw it in the oven and that's what raised my blood sugar i think more than any other meal it was you know just pure carbohydrates so i didn't add any extra toppings so anyway yeah. for me the biggest spike was chinese food okay too much and i didn't eat rice it was too much sugar oh. and too yeah. i mean they really use a lot of sugar and yeah. they do that for americans i don't think they cook like that in china and, I don't uh, think so. I think it's a different menu for real Chinese people than right. for American. Interesting. Right. I used to have a friend from, from Taiwan. And when we would go to his restaurants, they would look at me and then speak in Chinese to him and say, no, he would say, no, they're he's fine. Give him good food. <laughs> great. That's great. So, But I haven't had that in years. You know, yeah. I, I think it's so important for us to realize that everyone comes with a different set of criteria, a different set of givens that we need to work through. And um, I love the fact, and I, it took me a while to figure it out, but it wasn't about the diet or about the, the protocol. It was more about how do we get this person, this client, to get as far along in the process as I can get them to go. 
they don't have to buy the whole thing right away. So yeah. sometimes there are things that they just won't compromise on. You know, I had one client who said to me, I need an apple a day and I'm going to eat an apple a day. And it's like, okay, have an apple a day. Uh, all right. <laughs> on the other hand, there are people who, like when I give them my book to read, Life Without Diabetes or the Life Without Obesity, it's one or the other. It's I, I just wrote those books to give them to my clients. Nice. <laughs> and uh, so when I give it to them, I say, don't read beyond this point. Because when they see what we're going to do later, they might get scared. But then if they don't, if they, if they come along for the ride, then when it's time to make certain changes, they're ready for it. But it's not about the diet. You know, there are certain things that some people psychologically, emotionally cannot live without. And yeah. my job as a, as a hypnotist and a, a coach is to figure out where best to fit this item into their, their lifestyle. And they nice. may change later. Yeah, their best. Like one of my clients is absolutely. She came in and she said, "I'm addicted to buttermilk." Oh, I, it's such a weird thing to be addicted to, don't <laughs> you think? I'm addicted yeah. to buttermilk. Uh huh. Okay. Um, how about we cut down a little? Yeah. So instead of three glasses a day, why don't we go to two? Instead of two glasses a day, now let's go for one. Or instead of going down to one, why not do two halves? Uh -huh. Do you see? It's like, well, where, where does my mind go? She you can know, still have it. Yeah. Right. And so, all right. I, by the way, I, I, she's still my client. And um, the other day I told her about kefir. Oh. I told her, give a shot at kefir. At least it'll help your microbiome. Yeah, good idea. So anyway. Nice. All right. Well, let's, uh, why don't you tell everybody about your books and then where they can find you? Um, okay. All right. Um, my uh, Joseph Onesta, O-N-E-S as in Sam, T as in Tom, A. I'm on Amazon. Um, I've written several books. Uh, the first one was called The Hypnofasting Program Guide. Um, I the updated versions are now two, one for obesity and one. So I don't know. People still buy the hypnofasting guide, but there's no hypnosis in it. It's just the fasting guide. It's the what, what do I do? Yeah. And um, so in the life without diabetes and life without uh, obesity, that's the book that I give my clients to follow the program. So if someone were going to do this on their own, I would suggest going to those books. Okay. But I will also be honest enough to tell you all that clients who struggle with doing what's in those books end up calling me. Uh -huh. So, um, and I can be reached at my website, mindpowerpittsburgh.com mind power pittsburgh mind is in the power of your mind power is in your strength mind power pittsburgh you have to put an h at the end of pittsburgh if you don't know how to 
mindpowerpittsburgh.com. All my books are on Amazon. Um, I have six there, but those are the two. The simplest one is Deleting Diabetes, I Did It, You Can Too. That's the right. easiest one to read. Okay? Oh, very and, good. And uh, I welcome, if you do contact me, um, let me know that you contacted me through Maggie's podcast so that I can send her a little note and say, look, Maggie, it was wonderful. <laughs> oh, very good. Takeaways. It was difficult to hear about the bullying. I'm glad it led Joseph to hypnosis, which sounds like it's very helpful for food addiction. I feel like I'm personally a moderator, but there are a few foods that I will eat if they're in the house. For me, it's chocolates and potato chips. But I get three or four servings out of a pint of Rebel ice cream. We did want to have pizza again for the Super Bowl, and I got a cauliflower crust pizza and added extra toppings, and I thought it was good. I hope you'll look up Joseph on Amazon or on his website, mindpowerpittsburgh.com. He does have a number of impressive certifications. And as he says, you can try using his books, and then if you need more help, you can consult him personally. Thank you so much for listening to the Off of the Couch podcast. You can find me at offofthecouch.com. Take a small step. See you next week.